Last week we began to consider that essential doctrine of redemption. We considered why we need to be redeemed and from what. And this morning I'd like for us to consider the two aspects of our redemption. We find this with many of the doctrines that we find in Paul's writing, that there are two aspects. There is, concerning redemption, there's that unconditional provision of redemption to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. The moment you accept Jesus as your Savior, there's an aspect of your salvation that is immediate and that it is eternal and it's unconditional. That unconditional provision of redemption frees us eternally from the penalty of sin, the debt of sin, once and for all. It pays every aspect of what we owed to be freed from sin and to be made a child of God. And then there is the practical, the conditional aspect of our redemption. And that aspect has to do with our freedom from the very power and dominion of sin in our daily life and our daily choices. And this aspect of our redemption, of being made free, is dependent on our daily choices. So that's why I I call it conditional. Uh, There are conditions. Not every child of God immediately benefits from the being freed from the dominion of sin in your daily choices. And we'll look at that in in a little more detail. Upon believing that Jesus Christ paid the ransom for your sin to set you free, to redeem you, we immediately are forever freed from sin and its guilt and its penalty. Let's go to 1 Peter 1, and we'll read verses 18 to 21. We are freed from the cruel master of sin and death, and we are forever made a slave of love. God is now our master. He's also our father, but we belong to him because Christ paid for us. And in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 21, we see the price that was paid. And so this, upon accepting Jesus as your Savior, you immediately benefit from this aspect of your redemption, immediately and eternally. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God. That's the only requirement here. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, not in you, not in your faithfulness to always do what is right, but in Christ, in God's provision of his son, in his faithfulness to die for your sins. You were bought with a price. And the price that was required was the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God who died in your place as your representative. So now our hope and our expectation is in God for our eternal redemption. We belong to him forever. And and so many of God's people don't have a grasp of that. 
Many believe that one day they belong to God and go into heaven, and the next day they're lost, and they no longer belong to God, and so now they're going to hell. That's not what our redemption tells us. We, the price was paid. It wasn't a down payment. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't a down payment to pay for your redemption, but then we have to keep up the payments by trying to live right. No. If, if that's the case, you're... Your redemption is going to be taken from you. They're going to send someone to take that away from you. But he paid the price in full, not only for every sin that I committed to the point that I was saved, but every sin that I would ever commit, even after salvation. The debt of my sin was eternally paid. He paid it all, once for all. So I, I belong to God forever. Not because of me. My hope's not in me trying to live right. My hope is in God's faithfulness to fulfill his word. My hope is in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for me. So now I've been restored to fellowship with my creator. I belong to him. My sins are eternally forgiven. Hebrews nine twelve. Just so we have the scriptural foundation for that statement that my redemption is forever. Hebrews nine twelve. Not with the blood of goats and calves, as it was in the Old Testament with their sacrifices, but with his own blood, Jesus. He entered the most holy place, how often? Once for all. Once for all time. Having obtained what? Eternal redemption. Now, if these things weren't declared to be true in the word of God, I could not claim these things. To me, it'd be blasphemy. But because God has said, my redemption is eternal. That means it can never end because it is wholly based on what Jesus did for me on the cross, not what I do from day to day. Jesus became poor that I might be made rich. He had life. He had righteousness. But he allowed his righteousness to be put to my account so that I could stand accepted before a holy God. That's the price that he paid. John 11, verses 25 and 26. The reality is the believer still dies. We know that death came because of sin. And if we've been redeemed, then why do Christians still die a physical death? The answer is found here in John 11. We do, we are still subject to physical death, these bodies. But physical death for the believer is different. It's not an end but rather it's an entrance because we are redeemed, because we've been bought with a price. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five and 26, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die that physical death, he shall live. It's talking about the resurrection. It's talking about eternal life. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The Christian doesn't die because upon physical death, our spirit and our soul go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. And one day our body will be resurrected, a glorified body. And the spirit and the soul will be reunited with that glorified body to live eternally in the presence of God. Death could not hold my Redeemer. Jesus died. He had to die. He shed his lifeblood, and he died a literal physical death. But death couldn't hold my Redeemer. 
because he was God. Job in Job 19, 25 to 27, if you're jotting down notes, you can jot down Job 19, 25 to 27. Job said, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. What faith Job had way back in the Old Testament when he didn't have the advantage of Paul's revelation that we we have. But God revealed this to him, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another how my heart yearns within me. Job was in the depths of despair because of physical, emotional trials that he was going through. But in the midst of that despair, he had this hope. My Redeemer lives. He bought me. I will see him because my Redeemer lives. I will live. Philippians 1 and verse 23. The death for the believer is not to be feared. Now we understand the cruelty of death. We don't like to say goodbye to our loved ones. There is sorrow. There's still sorrow in death even for the believer. But Paul exhorts us not to sorrow as those who have no hope. There are times when some dear relatives may visit you from across the country, and you don't see them very often, and when they come and visit, you enjoy that visit so much, and when it's time for them to go, there is a sorrow there, maybe even some weeping, because you know it's going to be a while before you see them. That's real. That's our emotions that God gave us. That's real. But to know that we're going to see our loved ones again, in the midst of our tears, we can have joy knowing that it's just a temporary goodbye when we say goodbye to those who've put their faith in Jesus Christ. So yes, death, physical death is real. It's painful. It's cruel. It's ugly. But for the believer, there's joy and hope in rejoicing in the midst of those tears. Philippians 1.23. This is why Paul said, I am hard pressed between two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better he said, for the believers. Why? Because it's, a, it's an immediate entrance into the presence of the Lord. That's something to be looked forward to, not, not feared, not dreaded. When I visited Sister Iola just a few days before she passed away, and well, that visit, she wasn't coherent, but the a week before that, I visited her as well, recognized me very coherent and spoke And she expressed how she was ready to go home. In fact, she didn't know what the Lord was waiting on. (laughs) And that should be our attitude as Christians toward death. We don't, it's not a death wish. I just want to die and go to heaven. I don't want to go to heaven one minute before God has for me to do what I need to do here on this earth. If that's till 92, I'd prefer not that. But if that's what it takes for me to finish my race... I'm good with that because I know he'll supply everything I need until he takes me home. But if he takes me home tomorrow, rejoice. I'm in the presence of the Lord. That should be our attitude toward death. Because I am redeemed, I've been bought with a price. In Ephesians 1, I'll have to go through these quickly, but Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. There we have the assurance. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's talking about when Jesus comes back to retrieve us. 
For those that are alive when Jesus comes, that's instant translation without seeing death. But for the vast majority of Christians, that means they'll be raised from the dead. Jesus bought us. He's coming back for us for the purchased possession. That's me. I have this assurance, this guarantee. It's unconditional for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. He purchased me body, soul, and spirit. Everything that I am, I'm his. In Revelation 21, we read that when we are in the presence of the Lord and he comes for that purchased possession, he's going to wipe away all tears and everything that is the source of tears for us in this life. Tears of sorrow, that is. Old things are passed away. This is my hope because I've been redeemed. Now let's look for a moment at the practical aspects, the conditional aspect of your redemption. So your destiny is, is determined. It's set. It's based on what Jesus did for you on the cross. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are eternally God's. He bought you. But there's an aspect of our redemption that does require some decisions, daily decisions on our part. This practical aspect of redemption has to do with our everyday life and our everyday choices, how we talk, how we react, how we deal with every relationship in life. We've been redeemed from the very power. Part of our redemption, this practical aspect, is we do not have to live a life of sin. Look around you. Well, you probably don't have to look around very far. Look at your own life. When we have disobeyed God's instruction, what's the result? The Bible is clear. At times, there is a season of pleasure to sin. God acknowledges that. Sin can have a moment of pleasure, but the sorrow and loss and destruction are ongoing. We see it in the life of the unbeliever, but we also see it in the life of many Christians. How can that be since they've been redeemed? I gave you the illustration last week about the person sitting in jail in his dirty, stinky prison clothes, and yet then he's bought, he's redeemed, the price is paid to free him, the door is unlocked of the jail cell, he's given new clothes to put on, and yet how foolish it would be for that prisoner to say, no, I kind of like it here. I'm going to keep on these dirty old sinful clothes. He never walks out of that door and experiences the freedom that he's been given. That's what happens with a Christian who's saved, who's eternally a child of God, whose destiny is heaven, but in their day-to-day life, they're still bound by all the sorrow and the scars of sin because they never take their opportunity, their privilege to walk out of the cell and to put on the new clothes, the new habits of Christ, the new attitudes of Christ. It's there for them. It's it's. Freedom, freely given, but they have to choose. And many Christians choose not to put on Christ, not to walk in the power of the new life of Christ within them. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Let's turn there and read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul writing to Christians. When you read the letter to the Corinthians, you understand that these are carnal Christians. Christians that are saved... Eternally, Paul calls them saints, eternally separated unto God, separated from the world and and the lost. They're saints, he calls the Corinthians. But he also calls them carnal, which is another way to say you haven't entered into all that Christ died to give you. You're still sitting in the prison, still wearing your stinky prison clothes. 
Why would you do that when he says, Oh, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? He's talking to Christians here. You're bought. You're redeemed. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, because that's true, because the unconditional, immediate, eternal part of redemption is, is a reality in your life, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do you see how that requires a choice on our part? It requires faith to live a godly life. We are to glorify God in, in these bodies. Everything we do, everything we say, we, we do in these bodies. And we should do it to honor the one who redeemed us. Our life is to be characterized by faith and obedience to the will of God in every area of our life. Every area. Not just church going. Not just coming to church. But in your family, at work, everywhere you go, you represent the one who bought you. Now, if this, this part of our redemption was automatic, if every Christian just automatically always did and said what was right, this exhortation would be pointless, wouldn't it? Why would Paul exhort us to do it if it's automatic? So that means it's a choice. Paul calls believers who refuse to step out of that cell of sinful habits, who refuse to change their spiritual clothes of habits and things that are contrary to God's instruction. He calls them carnal. He calls them babes, spiritual babes, because they never grow. They never mature. They're saved. They're children of God. They're born again. But they're babes spiritually because they don't mature. They don't understand these truths. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3, there is an example of Paul calling the Corinthians carnal. You're still carnal. You've been given the life of Christ in you, part of your redemption. You have that life of Christ in you. Now learn to yield to it. There are consequences when Christians don't live a life of godliness, when they choose, continue to to do and to say the things they used to do and say before they were saved. They can't lose their redemption because that redemption is what? Eternal redemption. So that's not a consequence of the believer not living like they should. But there are consequences. We can't in this life, when we choose carnality, when we choose disobedience to God's instruction, we're not going to enjoy peace that passes understanding in what we do. We're not going to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. We're not going to have wisdom. We're not going to receive the wisdom necessary to make the right choices in life. In this life, there are consequences. There are scars to sin, even in the life of a Christian. The Christian can say, well, I'm saved by grace. It doesn't matter how I live. That's a lie from Satan. When the Christian sins, there are consequences. Yes, you're still saved. You're still going to heaven. But why in the world would you choose to sit in the jail cell when you've been given, free, been given freedom to do what's right in God's sight and enjoy all the blessings that he promises to those who honor him right now in this life? So there are consequences now of sin. But even in eternity, in heaven, we're told there's a loss of reward. Every child of God has an inheritance. But the Bible tells us when we choose godliness— when we take advantage of that redemption that is ours over the power of sin, that there's added inheritance, there's reward. And the greatest reward that there is for living a life of godliness is being close to the one who loved you so much, he gave his life for you. 
And if that doesn't motivate you to live a godly life, nothing will. I want to honor the one who gave up everything to make me his. We love him because he first loved us. And if that's not your motive, if you need something else, if you need the preacher to threaten you, you're never going to live godly. If you need somebody to watch over you and say, don't do that, do this, don't do that, you're already in trouble. You're still in the jail cell. But if you love Jesus who loved you, you'll want to honor him with a life of godliness. You're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. There are several passages that we could look at concerning those consequences in eternity, loss of reward, loss of closeness to Christ in eternity. But let's close with Romans 6. I'm going to read a lengthy passage here in closing. Romans 6, Paul deals with this practical aspect of redemption in in great detail here in Romans 6 and 7 and 8. How can I live a life of godliness? We know our weaknesses. We know that we're not sinless. We know that we're not perfect. But how can I really avoid the scars and the pain and the loss of making foolish, selfish sinful choices in rebellion against God's instruction. How can I live that kind of life? It's not a matter of your strength, but it's a matter of you recognizing your weakness, not boasting in it, recognizing it. Then it's a matter of believing that the Christ in you is sufficient, that the Christ in you can do nothing but the will of God. Let's read what Paul, what Paul says in Romans 6, beginning at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's how a lot of so-called grace saints present the grace of God. We're saved by grace. We're eternally saved. Let's just keep sinning because that's how we magnify God's grace because he loves us anyway and we are so filthy. That's what the Corinthians were thinking. That's what they were living. And Paul says, what shall we say then? Is that how we want to live? In the Greek His response is as strong as it could possibly be. Certainly not. How foolish a thought is that? How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We've been redeemed from sin and all of its consequences. Why would we choose to surrender back to that power? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Jesus died on the cross bearing my sin. But when he rose, the sin question was forever settled. He rose forever to do the will of the Father, to intercede for those that he bought. That new resurrected life is in me. That's what the Bible says. I'm different than I was before I was saved. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Sin is no longer my master. 
I don't have to give in to sin. How many times have I heard as a pastor Christian say, oh, Brother Doug, I couldn't help it. You don't know the situation. I couldn't help it. And I'm sorry, but I have to tell him, yes, you could. You chose not to take advantage of the power that Christ gave you. We never, as Christians, we never have a justification to sin. Never. Now, I didn't say that we don't ever sin. God's people, Christians, do sin. We do fail, but we never have to. It's always a choice not to believe that the Christ in you is able to give you strength to resist the temptation. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now that life's in us and we are to live to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is a step you have to take. This is the conditional part of your redemption. To reckon. What, what does it mean? When you reconcile. Let's see. Do we still do this today? When you reconcile your checking book to the bank, what are you doing? The bank says, this is what I have. Oops, I made a few mistakes in my register. I have to reconcile. I have to say what the bank says because they're the ones that know what I have. So I reconcile. I reckon my checkbook to the bank. To reckon your life. To reckon yourself dead. It's simply to say what God says about you. To quit making excuses for your sin. And to say, God knows, and I agree with God that I have the power to resist because of Christ in me. That's what it means to reckon. Therefore, do not let, oh, you have to let sin. We're talking about Christians now. The unbeliever can't do anything but sin. Even their good, noble deeds are sin because they're done in rebellion against God. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your... Members, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present, yield is the word. Yield yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So you see, it's not a matter of gritting your teeth and I'm going to do what's right today. No, you'll fail every day. It's a matter of reckoning. God says I can. I believe him. It's a matter of yielding. That's a surrender. That's not a. That's not self-effort, is it? Yielding is, I surrender. God, I know I can't live a godly life. Start there. (laughs) I know I can't be the kind of Christian you want me to be in my own strength. But the Christ in me can. There's a treasure in this earthen vessel. Lord, help me to recognize and yield to his strength. And you will be surprised the change that you'll see in yourself. It'll be a, a miracle that you never thought could happen. You'll remember back when you used to react and say and do a certain thing in a certain situation, and now that doesn't even appeal to you. Why? Because you're learning to yield to the Christ in you. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of be- obedience leading to righteousness. The Christian can make themselves a slave to sin. They're set free, they're redeemed, but they willingly sit in the jail cell when the jail door has been opened. 
But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness with all of its benefits. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present, yield your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You couldn't do what was right. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. That's all sin can produce. But now, having been set free, having been redeemed from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Endless benefits to being a slave to God in his righteousness. A slave of love. A master who has nothing but your eternal best interest in mind. Just yield to him. Willingly obey him because you love him. Because I've been redeemed. Because you've been redeemed. We are no longer under any obligation to do Satan's bidding. To sin. I can't be compelled. I can never say and it be true. I couldn't help it. Because I've been redeemed. I'm free to choose righteousness. I'm free to choose what's right in God's sight and to enjoy all the benefits of that life that start right now, but the best is yet to come because I've been redeemed. I'm free to choose the will of God, and I'm glad I'm redeemed this morning. Let's have a song in closing.